Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining me. Hit those likes. Hit those five-star reviews on Apple. We have a great show planned for you today. Delano Squires, Shamika Michelle will be here. I have a terrific uh, fire starter that we will get to right now. Bill Maher is the Dr. Fauci of the woke mind virus. For more than two decades, Mars HBO laboratory, Real Time, sponsored the gain-of-function research that led to the nationwide outbreak of the woke mindset and its primary variant, critical race theory. While building a brand as the most virtuous Barack Obama-supporting white liberal in America, Marr hosted panel discussions featuring all the properly credentialed racial, climate, and feminist scientists elite academia produced. Mars Lab thumbed its nose at the working class, preferring multimillionaire Michael Moore's perspective on people living check to check. When Donald Trump rose to power, speaking directly to and for the very people Marr and elites ignored, the liberal comedian told his audience to wear a MAGA-canceling mask and watch MSNBC's Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes as a vaccine and booster. Bill Maher created the religion of woke. It's disconnected, it's disconcerting watching him disavow and distance himself from the virus his lab leaked with countless batshit conversations. This past Friday, Maher interviewed billionaire serial entrepreneur Elon Musk on real time. The gist of their exchange dealt with the now obvious danger of the woke mind virus. Marr, the creator of it, has spent much of the last two years positioning himself as a woke whistleblower. He relentlessly attacks the woke without ever addressing his lab's role in spreading the virus. Bill Marr's Friday show highlighted a level of cognitive dissonance that is well beneath his intellect. It's quite similar to the cognitive dissonance of displayed by Fauci and others when they continue to promote Big Pharma's experimental medical trials, a.k.a. vaccines. Let me be clear. I like Bill Maher. I've watched his HBO show for years. I appreciate that he criticizes the woke. I'm just disappointed he won't discuss the root cause of wokeness. Elon Musk gave Marr every opportunity to address the root cause when at the behest of Marr, Musk defined the woke mind virus. Take a listen. And you have talked about this yeah. woke mind virus. Yes. In, in really apocalyptic terms. Yeah. I don't, you should explain why you don't think it's hyperbole to say things like it's pushing civilization towards suicide. First of all, what is the woke mind virus? And if we don't deal with this, nothing else can get done. Tell me why you think that. Yeah, so um, I think we need to be very cautious about any, anything that is anti-meritocratic um, and anything that, is, uh, that, that results in the suppression of, of free speech. Um, so you know, those are two of the aspects of the work mind virus that I think are very dangerous, uh, is that it's, it's often anti-meritocratic. You can't, you can't question things. Uh, even the questioning is bad. So, uh, you, know, if you, you know, another way to 
almost synonymous would be, would be cancel culture. And obviously people have tried to cancel you many times. Many times. Yeah, I mean, you're... Every week. Yeah. <laughs> so Musk, the new owner of Twitter, explained that Americans must be vigilant in their protection of free speech, especially speech we don't like. Okay, so let's think this through. What is Donald Trump's primary sin? Publicly stating things people find inappropriate or do not want to hear. Trump's oral and written behavior justified banning him from all social media platforms. That's a woke mindset. The woke desperately try to control what people think and say. They're quicker to forgive violent criminal behavior than a thought crime. Mars, Trump derangement, made him an ally and supporter of the enemies of the First Amendment. So a little later in the interview, Musk told a story about a friend's high school daughter who knew next to nothing about the accomplishments of George Washington. All she knew about the first president is that he owned slaves. Let's listen. I mean, yeah, let me, let me, let me, give, me give you an example that, that a friend of mine told me, which, uh, you know, his uh, daughters uh, go to college in, in oh, sorry, go to high school in, in the Bay Area. Um, and, um, and he, he was asking them, like, well, so who are the, you know, who are the first few presidents of the United States? Uh, the, the, they could name Washington, uh, but, and I said, well, what do you know about him? Well, he was a slave owner. What else? Right. Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> right. I'm like, uh, okay, that's, maybe you should know more than that, you know, yeah. Yeah, that, and that, that is the woke mind virus, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, the, 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 it, exactly. Like, it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, the... Uh, you know, slavery is obviously a, a horrific institution, but, but we should still know more about George Washington than and, that. And by the way, one that was practiced all over the world yes, yes. forever, it, it, since the beginning of time, by every race, including yes. people of color. I'm sorry yes. to tell you that. It's huge in the Bible. Absolutely. So it, Bible loves it. We're, we're, I, 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 <laughs> really? Yes, they, they, they're, they're, they're quite strict about, like, you know, don't take someone else's slave and that kind of thing. Right, you know? but no one ever says, <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't, they don't, they don't they, at no point does it say slavery is bad in no, the Bible. No, no. <laughs> so... That indoctrination that Musk is talking about, those same indoctrination tactics are played out across corporate media. Donald Trump has been reduced to his irreverent and inappropriate tweets. Like George Washington, Trump has been reduced to his bad behavior. There's virtually no discussion of Trump's policies and what they produce or intended to produce. I like Trump because of his America First agenda, a pledge and a set of policies designed to bring manufacturing jobs back to America. My parents were check to check union factory workers. When I hear the slogan, make America great again, that's what I think of and desire. Juxtapose that to President Joe Biden. At least publicly, he is relatively well behaved. He doesn't say or tweet mean things. That's all nice and good. But I'm frustrated with what his policies and agenda produce. Biden's obsession with racial, gender, and sexual identity produces an attack on free speech and a merit-based work culture. So uh, let me connect those dots. Biden's policies 
produce an attack on free speech and a merit-based culture. What did Elon Musk say was the primary dangers of the woke mind virus? He said things that it produces things that are anti-meritocratic and suppress free speech. The woke mind virus attacks the meritocracy and attacks free speech. We have a president who is putting policies and agenda in place that attack free speech and have AOC and all these other Democrats promoting censorship and the limitations of free speech. Democrats are the leaders naming vice presidents, press secretaries, Supreme Court justices, secretaries of transportation, and assistant secretaries of health based on race, sexual orientation, and gender ideology. Kamala Harris, Kareem Jean-Pierre, Kadanji Brown-Jackson, Pete Buttigieg, and Rachel Levine. They didn't earn their positions. They were installed to make a statement about how virtuous Biden and Democrats are. This is all narcissism that far exceeds Donald Trump's narcissism. The American agenda takes a back seat to Biden's reputation and the Democratic Party brand. Connect the dots a little further. The woke mind is narcissistic. It prioritizes itself above country. Mark can see it in Trump. Mark can't see it in himself or apparently leftists. Marr should watch his Friday show. In his opening monologue, he cracked a joke about Joe Biden's intention to run for president again in 2024. Here's what Marr said. Elections are all about getting your base excited. Biden made the announcement in, in drag, wearing a mask, and drinking a Bud Light. In case that went over anybody's head, Bill Maher just argued that Biden's base is drag queens, COVID mask-wearing clowns, and uh, Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender man, actor, 26 years old, who Biden embraced, who Bud Light is putting on beer cans and did a deal with. That's who Bill Maher is saying is Biden's base. Transgenders, mask-wearing clowns, and drag queens. That's the base. That's who he's catering his policies and agenda for. And you wonder why the MAGA movement won't go away? They're being ignored. Still, to this day. And Trump is the only one out there willing to put his Balls on the line and speak for them, the working class. And I'm sorry that stupid black people don't realize Trump is out there actually speaking for you. 
You've gone for the hype. Oh, his bad behavior. Look how mean he is in tweets. Look at the stupid things he says. You're so caught up in behavior that you can't see the policies. Let me connect the dots even further. Let me take it back to Musk's point about George Washington. Yes, he owned slaves, but that's not his policies. That Declaration of Independence that Thomas Jefferson wrote, that, that Constitution that we wrote, those first amend, those amendments, the Bill of Rights that we wrote, they were all policies that led to the ending of slavery. Those were all policies that made America the most fairest place on earth, the envy of the world, the safest, most prosperous, most opportunity-filled space on the planet for black people. You don't have to like what I'm saying, and you can believe the clowns at the New York Times. You can believe Hannah Nicole Jones or Nicole Hannah Jones or whatever, that African-American red priestess, liberal feminist clown says, the 1619 Project. You can buy all of that stupid stuff if you want to be retarded. But the facts are that Washington's policies and the founding of this country produce documents and a point of view and a goal and an ideal, the idea that led to all the freedoms that we enjoy today. Or you can reduce him to his bad behavior a reflection of the times he lived in. And so this sound, people hear, oh, Will, I was just caping up for Donald Trump. I'm caping up for common sense and people and men being men and not getting caught up in the emotion. Oh my God, he tweeted this, he said this. It's hard for me to ever get anybody to engage in a conversation about, well, what about the policies? What, what, are there some policies that Trump produced that hurt us, that hurt you? And my friends predominantly have to be, happen to be heterosexual and black. And so I'm speaking specifically to them. What are the policies? Damn what Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes and Don Lemon told you about what he said or tweeted What are the policies and what did they produce? And then I want you to compare them to the policies and the agenda and what Biden is producing. A country, a nation that bends over backwards for drag queens, transgenders and mask wearing COVID fearing clowns. Are you one of them? Because that's who the base is. Bill Maher just cracked a joke about it because he knows it's true. This stuff is so crystal clear and so obvious. The the, the kind of delusion you have to be in, the kind of coward you have to be to not see, to not have the vision to judge anybody or any movement by the results that they produce. Now, 
Maybe you're someone that's happy as hell that Kamala Harris slept her way to the vice presidency. Maybe Mayor Pete and his husband and them pretending to have babies, maybe that floats your boat and he's a great secretary of transportation. Maybe Rachel Levine running around pretending he's a woman and pretending he's some kind of admiral, admirable, whatever, admiral. Maybe that floats your boat. Maybe Kareem Jean-Pierre, you know, I'm the first queer uh, press secretary and we're having Queer Visibility Day here at the White House. Maybe that floats your boat. But it don't do nothing for me and it really doesn't do anything for you unless you're a transgender, you're a mask wearing, afraid of COVID clown, or you're a drag queen and part of that alphabet mafia. You should run out and support Biden. If you're not, you should perhaps reconsider and quit worrying about someone's bad behavior. Worry about your own bad behavior. Because trust me, there's plenty of it. Just because don't nobody know, trust me, you know and God knows that you got your own bad behavior to clean up. You can reduce any man. You know what? All Jason Whitlock ever accomplished on this earth was eating, overeating, and hanging out in strip clubs. You can reduce me to that, and you can ignore what I actually have done in this earthly realm. The jobs that I have created for people, the opportunities I've created for people, the accomplishments I have in writing. You can throw all that out the window. You know what? Write my obituary. Whitlock ate at McDonald's, and he hung out at Diamond Joe's strip clubs in Kansas City. That's me. That, that, and tr- we can reduce you to your bad behavior. I, I, from from Bill Clinton to to Barack Obama, I really don't care about their behavior. They're just men, flawed, weak, controlled by their flesh. What are their policies? What's their agenda? What are they trying to do? And so Bill Maher can sit around and, and again, I like Bill Maher, but damn it, be honest. He created this madness. He participated in this madness. He justified the Trump derangement that is nothing but a variant, a root cause, part of the woke mind virus. And he should cop to it and get real with himself. I wish that he was man enough to let somebody come on that show and have a real conversation with him. But he's not. He's like most people in corporate media. He does what his overlords tell him and he avoids conflict and anyone questioning anything that comes out of his mouth. So the MAGA movement, whether you like it or not, it's the vaccine for woke. 
Bill Maher and the rest of the elite establishment, and that is Democrats and Republicans, they're the real anti-vaxxers. They're the uniparty. They hate the working class or anyone willing to challenge their authority. My number, when I watched Bill Maher on, on uh, Friday, my, my number one takeaway, because there's other parts of the show that uh, I found interesting, found contradictory, found like things that triggered thoughts in my head. One of the net, number one things, I was like, man, these elites, man. You, you know what this is really all about? The left, Democrats and those elites on the left, they have control of their Negroes. That, that's what this is all about. If you like really understand the history of elites, and, and, and how the mind works and how societies work. <clears throat> it's the elites versus the non-elites, versus the peasants. And they don't care what color the peasants are. The black slaves, white slaves, they could give a rip less. That's why they had white indentured servants. It's like, did anybody watch Roots? And they, they showed that they had white folks out there in slavery and indentured servitude no different than the blacks. That's what the elites do. And, and there's a group of idiots, white and black, that don't understand. It's like there's this working class that is black and white. And these elites are really in a dispute about how do you control your working class? How do you control your peasants? How do you control your Negroes? And the Negroes are black and white. And the left says, we control our Negroes very well. When they get upset, they burn down their own neighborhoods. They loot stores and kill each other. They tear down their own stuff in frustration. They don't bring that crap to our neighborhoods. We have our Negroes perfectly under control. Now you Republicans, Get your Negroes under control. Your Negroes are called white trash. And they've all gathered up under this banner of MAGA. And you know what that white trash does when they get upset? They come to the Capitol and bother us. Our Negroes would never do that. Get your Negroes under control like we have. And so that's why both groups of elites, Republicans and Democrats, hate Donald Trump. He's inspiration to white Negroes. Would love to be inspiration to black Negroes as well, but we're too stupid to see he's out there representing for us. He's out there inspiring white Negroes to say, you know what, I got a problem, I'm gonna go see Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and all the, all the rest of these elite clowns that have ignored us, have told us we don't have any rights, have told us we want you on welfare and waiting on a stimulus check, just like the black Negroes. 
And Donald Trump has told his group of people, no, nah, we ain't taking that. We ain't laying down like the blacks have. We're not doing it. We're not going to destroy our family, and we're not going to sit around and wait on a stimulus check and, and depend on the government. And the people that are doing that to us, we're going to go see them on January the 6th and let them know we're dissatisfied. That's what's at the heart of the MAGA movement. Donald Trump has inspired a group of working class people that do not want to be dependent upon the government. And if we were in our right minds, the black folks on the left, those working class Negroes would have been there on January 6th to say, I don't want to depend on the government. I don't want your stimulus check. I don't want your global society. I'm not a global citizen of the world. I live at, on 38th Street in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm not going to Paris in the summer. I'm not going to Rome to vacation. I'm gonna be right here on my block. Bring me a job over here so that I can take care of my family and we can go to Disney World. We can go to Kings Island. We can go to Six Flags and celebrate. I can send my kid to Ball State University or wherever I want to with this good manufacturing job that my mom and daddy used to have. But we've been infected with the woke mind virus and that variant, critical race, race theory. It's sickening. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's sad that we're that cheap, that little backbone, that easily manipulated and duped. That's my fire. Come back, I'm gonna talk uh, with Delano Squires about my fire and the column that he wrote. Uh, I told, I'm fired up this week, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm on one and you're getting an angry Jason Whitlock, but uh, that's where I'm at today. Uh, I want to tell you about something that does not make me angry, and it's a new movie we're backing. It's no secret that there has been a war on comedy lately. You're hardly ever allowed to joke about anything these days. Well, Blaze TV is embarking on a mission to save comedy and impact culture, and we're launching this mission this Thursday, May 4th, by releasing our first full-length comedy film. The movie is called Reopening, and it's a mockumentary that follows the cast and crew of a small community theater as they struggle to reopen during the heart of COVID-19 pandemic. It's a brilliant work of satire using humor to expose and ridicule the insanity that swept the nation during the pandemic. We knew our audience would absolutely love it, so we're thrilled to be delivering it to you this week. Join us Thursday, May 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern for the premiere of Reopening, we'll be streaming a live pre-show on YouTube and Facebook with members of the cast, but the movie itself will be available exclusively on Blaze TV. So in order to join the fun, head on over to blazetv.com slash reopening and use the promo code reopening to get $20 off your subscription. That's blazetv.com slash reopening 
promo code reopening for $20 off. Or you can email me and us at fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Thelano Squires next. It's my obligation, I hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's watch Washington, D.C. Bring in Delano Squires. Delano, I want to start with uh, my mono today about the woke mind virus. <laughs> I thought one of the most interesting things that uh, happened on Bill Maher's show this week, when he, when he cracked the joke about Joe Biden getting his base excited and his base are mask-wearing COVID clowns, drag queens, and transgender people. And, hmm. and, and I think that says it all about the Democrat Party and, and where they headed. That's their base. And people need to deal with that. What are the ramifications of that being your base? We'd spend a lot of time talking about, oh, these MAGA extremists are Trump's base. And what does that say about the Republican Party? What does it say about the Democrat Party that transgenders, drag queens, and mask-wearing clowns are their base. Jay-Z, you, f- you forgot one key group, right? The radical abortionists. And I think what it says is that this, this is a party that ultimately is dedicated to death um, because the things that they promote do not promote life, right? They, they, can't, they don't understand the difference between a man and a woman, right? They think men dressed up as women, as caricatures of women, performing in front of kids, is, is empowering and liberating somehow and essential to, to education. Um, they claim to believe in science when it comes to mass and you know, experimental uh, medical trials, but again, not when it comes to, to biological sex. And then, as I, as I said, their, their abortion extremism, basically up until the point of birth, uh, just speaks to how much the, the modern Democratic Party, the modern left, is dedicated to death. Um, and, and I think similar to what Tucker Carlson said, you know, a few weeks ago, if you, even if you take it out of the political realm, and anything that cannot reproduce after its own kind, anything that brings, um, makes reproduction harder, where, where the human species cannot be propagated, um, is, is something that you should take a long time to think about whether you should be promoting it, promoting it in, a, in a particular culture. Um, so one of, one of the hallmarks of that which is good is that that which can be reproduced. And, and the, what the, the left stands for, as I said, um, is the end of reproduction. And, and we should see that in terms of that, that good and evil dichotomy um, that, that he talked about a few weeks back. There was a moment in his interview with Elon Musk where they talked about critical race theory and academia mm. and how the only thing kids know about George Washington is he owned slaves. And, mm. and they were saying, man, and they were both ridiculing this and saying, it, it's got to stop. You can't reduce this guy to just that. What about all the other things he did and accomplished? And that made me think of Donald Trump. We've reduced mm. him, corporate media has, to his bad behavior. And there's a lot of discussion about his inappropriate tweets, stupid things he says on TV. But, but I find it 
that no one wants to talk about what his actual policy and agenda, what they produced or were trying to produce. We can't discuss any of that. And so it's like all things are being reduced to, well, they thought the wrong thing or Mm. there's this behavior that they participated in that nullifies any of their policies, whatever their agenda is. And, and, and so I, I hate to sound like I'm some Trump caper guy that's just a cheerleader for Donald Trump, but I, I just have to keep it real. It's, it's an unfair standard to reduce any man to their bad behavior, and, and particularly a president, and not evaluate their policies, their positions, their agenda, and what they produce. Am, am I going overboard here, uh, defending Trump, defending George Washington's bad behavior, trying to ask for a more relevant and substantive conversation about these guys? Not at all. And my thing is, I would actually respect the left more if they held to this position across the board. But but the same people who got upset with with the the videos that revealed Trump talked about you know grabbing women by their private parts have no problem lionizing Bill Clinton, right? Who who was getting down into some business while he was in the in the White House with a woman who was 23 or 24 years old. Now these are the people who talk about power differentials and and uh, when your boss is trying to get you to engage in certain types of conduct, you really don't have um, the full power to consent and so on and so forth. But, but because he is a loyal soldier in, in their fight for, for the things that they feel, you know, they, they believe in, they have no problem giving him a, him a pass. And, and, and the person who really made me um, think about this and, and where this really sort of settled in for me was um, Anita, Anita Hill. I was about to call Anita Thomas. I was thinking about Anita Baker. But uh, Anita Hill. Because for as you know, gripping and emotional as her testimony was when Justice Thomas was being um, confirmed to the Supreme Court, I saw her on Meet the Press some number of years later, and I think you know Tim Russell was asking her about Clinton and some of the things against him, and she basically said some version of, well, you know, for the greater good, certain types of you know personal indiscretions you have to look over, and I said this is not the way a survivor of sexual assault speaks. Because if you really went through something that traumatic, you would have sympathy and empathy for the young women who are coming after you going through the same thing. But when your God is politics, then you'll say anything um, in, in order to, to worship at that altar. So, so no, I, 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 don't, I don't think, I think we should keep people's full lives in, in context. I don't believe in, in hiding the, the bad or the ugly. Um, but I don't believe in, in necessarily saying that because someone has troubling things in their past, that that completely wipes out, you know, the, the good things that they've done. At the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what is this person most known for and what has been their primary contribution to society? Uh, and, and both sides of the aisle can, can sort of tilt in one direction or the other. So I'm not, I'm not advocating the Kanye position, which is to say, well, you know, Hitler really built some really, you know, really nice bridges and he did X, Y, I'm not saying that because I think that's ridiculous. But on the other hand, if you have students in school, in K through 12 education in this country, and they, the, the main takeaway they get from our founding fathers, 
for because so, again for whatever their faults they are the people who created the architecture for our system of government if your main takeaway is that they once owned slaves then i think that the people doing that are doing our kids a huge disservice when it comes to their to their education because at the end of the day jason none of us are righteous in terms of uh, a personal standard um, so in the same way that I can look at George Washington or Thomas Jefferson and, and, and judge them, I am going to be judged one day for the, for the sins that I've committed. Um, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about talking about faith on this show and, and the Christian faith in particular is that the cross is a leveling place. No one gets to, to, to stand at the, at the foot of the cross and say, well, I alone am, am righteous enough um, to make my way into heaven. So. Yeah, I think it's a bad way to teach history. I think it's the type of thing that leaves kids not just ignorant, but um, with, a, with a sense of victimhood. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that that's what's best for the American future. You don't have to answer this because I'm going to ask it of Anthony and Virgil tomorrow. And so I'm throwing you okay. a bit of a curveball. But I'm going to ask these guys tomorrow, and I wanted to see if you had a thought on it. But part of what Marr and Musk did at the end was crack jokes about the Bible and how, say, the Bible basically was pro-slavery. And what, Do you have a thought on the people that argue the Bible justified, condoned, promoted slavery? Actually, I do. Um, I've, heard, I've heard a number of um, Christians I respect. S- some will make the argument, you know, that, that the Bible... I don't want to say that they'll say that the Bible is pro-slavery, but here's what I'll say. One, as a Christian, I'm not ashamed of a single word that's written in the Holy Scriptures. Not one. There are no no problem passages to me um, because I believe that the Bible was inspired by God, written by men, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I have no basis on which to say that you know, I am more just, more loving, more kind, and more knowledgeable than, than an all-powerful and all-knowing God. So that's point number one. Point number two, um, the Bible does not promote slavery, because uh, there's a passage in, I, I want to say it's in Exodus 22. The pastors will know better than I will. But it says that, that man-stealing um, basically is, is a sin, and, and man-stealing you know, taking someone into captivity is something that should be punished by death. What the Bible does do, and slavery is not the only instance in which this occurs, is, is that the, the Bible and God um, in his divine providence regulated conduct that sinful men were already engaged in. And in the Old Testament, there are regulations around divorce and there are re- regulations both in the Old and New Testament Uh, around slavery, and particularly in the New Testament, what those regulations look like is an opportunity, God's um, divine wisdom bringing order to an institution that was already present in the areas in which the gospel started to spread. So that that order, we're all familiar with it it as it relates to husband and wife, right? Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. We understand it when it comes to um, children and parents. And because the gospel spread in societies in which slavery existed, there, was also, there were also commands on both sides in terms of maintaining order, biblical order that honored God for slaves and masters. 
So again, I'm not apologizing for that. But what I don't do, and, and, I, and I do know some evangelicals who, who make this step, which is to say, the Bible says there should be order in slavery, right? Uh, in the context of slavery, th- this is in the New Testament. So we should apply that, you know, those, those passages to how we think about chattel slavery in America. And, and I think that's a mistaken way to approach the text. Because again, what the scriptures never say is that people who follow Christ should go into different parts of the world, different regions, and enslave people. Because let, let's, let's say, Jason, that there's a culture war, right? The culture war actually heats up to a hot war in this country. And, you know, conservatives lose out. A liberal can't come pick up the Bible and say, Delano, sorry, buddy, but you, I own you now and I own your family and you must obey me. And then I say as a Christian, oh, okay, well, the Bible talks about slavery in the New Testament. You've captured me and my family in the culture war. So now me, my wife, and my four kids belong to you. No, that's a, that's a misapplication of the text. Now, if I went to some place in the Eastern world, in Northern Africa, in the Middle East, and I'm evangelizing to a family, and that family has servants or, or slaves, th- then I, I, can, I can actually apply the texts that are in the New Testament because I'm not promoting something, I'm responding to something that already exists. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a delicate balance, but in the same way the, the, the scriptures use the word slavery, and that word has a context in the New Testament, it also uses the word marriage. But, but no Christian, no evangelical who would say the, the slavery in the New Testament parallels the chattel slavery that we had in America would also make the same leap and say that the marriage picture that we see in the New Testament parallels the marriage picture that we see in America. Because they would never allow two, two men or two women to, to say, oh, look, the scriptures su- support same-sex mirage, right? We're married according to the state. So, of course, the, the things that the Bible says about marriage apply to us, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to read the words um, in context. You have to understand what, what the authors meant, and you have to situate the scriptures, um, again, in, in the context in which they were written. So th- that's a long way of saying, uh, I don't think the Bible supports slavery. I think God understands that men are sinful, and, and where men would run wild, he, he provides order and structure to institutions and systems. But ultimately, the Christian religion is about one of liberty, um, and, and that's why when you get to the book of Philemon, and again, I'll let the pastors get to this, when, when a, a slave ran away from his master, the apostle Paul writes to that master and says, look, me and you on good terms, you know me, you, t- you know the type of cat that I am. I want you to accept Philemon, um, I want you to accept the runaway um, back into your home as a brother, not as a slave. Um, so, so I think the, the overarching message of, of the, the Christian faith is one of liberty and freedom. Um, and I don't think that people should misuse the scriptures um, to make arguments that the Bible does not make. I wanna transition to the column you wrote today about uh, basically feminists <laughs> are the original drag queens. Expound on that. Sure, um, this came about, I, I saw a clip going around with uh, Ebony K. Williams, who's a host on the Grio and 
a reality show person, been is an author, a lawyer, so on and so forth. And she was talking to Ayanna Vanzant, right? Sort of the self-help Yoruba priestess guru who, who Oprah Winfrey discovered years ago. And um, Ebony was complaining, because I think she's pushing 40 and is not married and wants kids. She was complaining about the dating pool, and Ayanna Vanzant asked her, would you date a bus driver? And she had this dumbfounded look, and she said, if he owned a bus, and, and, you know, the elder sort of corrected her and said, look, this way of thinking is completely off. So I, I tweeted about that and basically said, look, I know a lot of blue-collar guys. There's nothing about their personality or their character that I would see a woman, let's say a woman with a college degree got with one of them. I would never describe that as her dating down. But Jason, as I, as I did more research into that clip and I listened to the whole clip, that wasn't even the most interesting part to me. It was when Ayanna Van Zandt said that I, when she said I, Ayanna Van Zandt, was a terrible mother to my children, but I was a great father. And that threw me for a loop. Um, she explained what she meant. Basically, you know, I provided, I protected, I instilled discipline and structure and order in her way. But what it sounded to me like, and, and what she later sort of confirmed through the rest of that conversation, is that women like her, self professed alpha females have been playing the role of men for so long that they've forgotten to they've forgotten how to be women and in that essence um, those women are the most successful drag performers that we've seen in this country uh, over the last half a century because if you think of drag in terms of um, you know typically men playing a caricatured stereotype of women, dressing like women, talking like women, carrying themselves like women. This is what the feminist movement told women that they should be doing. Talk like a man, look like a man, dress like a man, act like a man, spread like a man, power suit like a man, curse like a man, drink like a man, smoke like a man, make it rain like a man. And, and these women have taken that message and now they are wondering why they're having difficulty actually attracting men. Um, so it, it was a fascinating conversation between an older woman and, and a younger woman um, about how, you know, the last 60 years have really distorted how women see themselves and distorted how they enter into relationships with men. It's listen, reading your piece and then listening to you talk about it, it, it makes me question just like women in the workforce in terms of, mm -hmm. of particularly as it relates to black women, it, 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 I could see why. Once the, there's this inbound, well, I'm the primary breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And that does change the dynamics of a relationship. And so when you enter into these careers and I can take care of myself and I don't need a man, I'm gonna be fine without a man because I can do it, blah, 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 blah. There's ramifications for that, that Ebony Williams, very lovely, beautiful, attractive woman, gets to be 40, and she's been out chasing the career, and blah, 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 and, and, and she's sitting there like, I messed up. I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I can relate to that as a, as a man who went overboard in his career mm -hmm. and, and, and didn't pursue the family thing the way that I should have. I, I can relate to all of that, and and... It, it, 
I could understand why as a woman, because let's say as a man with my career, would I date a woman who's a bus driver? Probably. Uh, it, it wouldn't, that the, the woman having a lesser job and career than me wouldn't bother me at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my mind is constructed differently than a woman. And so these women have careered them, their way out of happiness in their personal life. Exactly, Jason. And, and the, the phenomenon you describe in terms of men being willing to um, date a woman who has, you know, less education, less earning potential, um, men desiring women, generally speaking, who are shorter than they are, lighter than they are, um, is called, and, and the opposite being true for women, right? Women wanting a guy that has more earning potential, more education, taller, stronger. That's, that's a phenomenon called hypergamy. Um, and studies have actually shown this. They, they have taken... The, the occupations of men and shown the types of occupations that certain men look for. So a male surgeon will date a female surgeon or he'll date a nurse or he'll date an executive assistant. But a female surgeon is not going to date um, an executive assistant. That, that just does not happen, right? A female lawyer is not, is not going to, to date a paralegal. That's generally not happening. Um, so I'm, I'm not asking women to go against their nature, but I think what you said just now hits the nail on the head. I think what women like Ebony and, and you know, women, particularly who are knocking on 40, who may have let a good guy go when he was, when she was 25, because all the women in her ear said, girl, get, you better go on and get your education and don't, the men will be there and so on and so on and so forth. They, they think they live in New York where there's a, a, another train every five minutes and they don't realize they live out in Alaska, culturally speaking where if one passes, you may have to wait a very long time for another one. So I'm not asking, I'm not saying women like that should go against their nature. I think they should understand the, the, the sort of the, the, the dating market and understand that the things that they're looking for as they move up, they're going to find fewer and fewer men who have those characteristics. Now, t- two things really quick. One, it's interesting that Ebony Williams told the women of The View that She's pursuing single motherhood, all right? She's, she's going to the bank. She's getting there before banking hours are done. And she's, she's looking, you know, to, to, to find a man or a donor to be the father of her children. But she also admitted, um, I think during COVID, that she broke off an engagement with her, her previous boyfriend because he wanted to quarantine with his three children instead of her. So that, that desire for wifedom and, and children is there. Um, and when women, you know, sort of reject it at certain periods of, the, of their life, um, it's not guaranteed that it's going to come back around. But there's another thing that was at play in that interview, and it's something that I know you've talked about in the show, and I'm, I'm hearing more and more of. It's this notion, particularly that black women are goddesses, are divine. And one of the problems with that is, if you see yourself as a deity, what incentive do you have to, to mix and mingle with, with the, the lowly, you know, common folk, right? I, I'm a goddess. Goddesses don't hold themselves accountable, right? D- divine entities don't look at themselves and say, well, maybe this is me. No, it's, it's always the people who should be worshiping at your feet. Um, so I think a lot of that new age gobbledygook, you know, divine feminine energy and all this other stuff, that's got to go. But what that is, Jason, that is what happens 
when a people who used to find their moral center in the Christian scriptures abandoned their faith for new age spirituality. And that's why you have more and more people, particularly under the age of 50, who say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But what does that mean? Because God has given instructions to men and women on what he expects from them in in the scriptures, right? Now, the new agey people don't hold to that, but they hold to something. And that's why they they speak, their speech sounds so, so, you know, squishy. You know, it's, it's about energy and all this other stuff. But but it's but but these women are confusing occupations with roles. And that's why so many of them, I think, have a difficult time um, in relationships. Because, yes, you, you may be a woman who has a college degree. You may be dating a carpenter or an electrician or, or a bus driver. But if y'all are married and y'all are believers in your home, he is still your head, even if you make a few thousand dollars more than him. The other thing I'll say just real quick is every woman with a degree, black, white, Chinese, or candy stripe is not Ebony Williams. There's a lot of women who think higher than themselves than they ought because they have a degree in underwater feminist basket weaving and and they look down on a guy who's a carpenter, but he gets to keep all his money and a third of her $50,000 a year salary is going to Sally Mae. So it's it's not just the income it's the status that they ascribe to the college degree. And that status comes out every time you hear them say, well, black women are the most educated demographic in America. Okay, all right, what what that mean? So these are things that I think deserve, you know, greater introspection, but it was fascinating to hear two women, and, and I'm sure you know this, there's a lot of discussion sort of on YouTube around relationships very little of it is being had by people who've shown a long-term successful track record of holding a marriage together. There's a lot of talk about partners and partnership. There's a lot of talk about dating. Um, There's a lot of talk about what people should do, co-parenting and all sorts of stuff. But when it comes down to the people who say, yeah, I've been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years through the ups and the downs, there's very little of that. Um, and, I, and I think we need more people in those positions who are willing to speak to the generation coming after them, because if not, um, I, th- I think we're in some serious, serious trouble. Thank you, Delano. I got to keep Thank you, you moving. See you later this week. Uh, get your fearless army slag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Make sure you're slamming that likes button. Make sure if you're on Apple or anywhere you listen to podcasts, you give me that five-star review. We need to fight the algorithm. I need you in that fight. All right, Shamika Michelle, next. Going to roll out to North Carolina, bring in Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, I think it was Carol Swain that put out a tweet, I think, critical of Fox News giving Lawrence Jones a crack 
at uh, Tucker Carlson's time slot. And, and I, I could, Carol lives here in Nashville. And, and do, do you have the actual, do you have the tweet or do, I, do, or do we have the tweet so I could give a little context here? Uh, Carol, yes. you guys know she's, I'm sorry, you go ahead, Shamika. What, 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 what was her exact tweet? It says, I am sure Lawrence Jones did not ask to be used as Tucker Carlson's temporary replacement. Given Jones's age and experience, it looks like a race-based affirmative action appointment that allows Fox News to virtue signal. Is Fox News following the Biden's administration example of stoking division by placing identity politics above merit and experience. I wonder. Mm. So she put that out and uh, people were none too happy. Lawrence Jones is, looks to be about 35, 36 years old, young black dude. He's, he's been with uh, Fox News for six, seven, eight years. You, you see him around doing light work uh, around Fox News. He, he, as best I could tell, when he tweeted out earlier this week or last week that, hey, I'm filling in for the Tucker spot and thank you for this opportunity, he's just doing it for a week. It did raise an eyebrow to me because, not to be disparaging, but you know, I think of Lawrence as kind of a lightweight, uh, you know, not a heavyweight, and that prime, Tucker was such a heavyweight, you know, it, it felt like they were trying to replace Mike Tyson uh, with Sugar Ray Leonard. And, and it just doesn't seem like the right fit. I want to play a clip from, uh, I think, Lawrence Jones's uh, first mono uh, filling in for Tucker yesterday, just so some of you may not be familiar. Here's a taste of Lawrence Jones. Hello, family. Welcome to Fox News Tonight. I'm Lawrence Jones. Now, 80-year-old Joe Biden announced he was running for president again last week. That's a tall task for someone who struggles to remember what day it is or what country he last visited. It's hard to know if Joe Biden himself even wants to run. Politico is reporting that his wife, Jill Biden, the non-physician that you got to call doctor, played a key role in getting Biden to agree to run again. Regardless of what's behind the decision, it's clear the Democratic Party doesn't want you to notice Joe Biden is obviously physically and mentally in decline or Joe Biden's record. Don't believe your eyes, believe us. Joe Biden has been a great president, they insist. Unfortunately, the Democratic Party, that message seems to not be working. A Harvard-Harris poll from just a few weeks ago found that nearly 60% of voters have doubts about Biden's mental fitness. Another poll by Monmouth University found that nearly half of the Democrats would prefer just Joe's just sit out the next election. They don't want him to run. Even son of Joe's Biden's allies in the media sense his vulnerability. And for months, they've been pushing Biden to step aside. The New York Times has recently run a number of pieces with basically all the same headlines. Joe Biden. So uh, that's Lawrence Jones. Does that sound like someone that could fill Tucker's shoes? I know that's just 90 seconds, but <laughs> does that sound like the replacement for Tucker? You know, I really like Tucker, so he wouldn't be a replacement, in my opinion. When Dr. Spain or Swain put this uh, 
tweet out, she had a lot of black conservatives to come for her, saying that she was actually pushing down a black man and being extremely negative. And so many people now have even written articles about it, as I last checked a few minutes ago, just really upset by what she was saying. And the article that I read this morning by political commentary, um, political commentator Benji Irby, was a really good article. He is a faithful Fox News channel watcher. He's the one that actually got me to watching Tucker. And his points made Carol's question valid. He talked about how Tucker started out at 7 p.m. and he really had to work and work and Hannity took over for Bill O'Reilly at eight, but then and then Tucker moved to nine. And then after Tucker amassed these millions of followers or views, then he was able to move to the eight o'clock hour. So he was just saying how this is a very coveted position. And most times people have really worked and earned their way to this spot. A lot of people are saying, well, Lawrence has been there for nine years. From my understanding, Jason, he's actually 30 years old. And he has this show that comes on on Saturday nights. And so they feel like, you know, the black conservatives, oh, he's put his time in. But his breakdown in the article would say that maybe he hasn't put the time in, that so many other people before him, Tucker, Hannity, uh, Jesse Waters, has, you know, put in, and he just hasn't done that. A lot of people are actually also saying that he's too nice for this position. When I initially read her tweet, I didn't think much of it because it was a guest host position. But you do have to ask, because they're making such a big deal about it, and they didn't make this big deal about Kill Me filling in last week, is there something more to it? Is this just a temporary assignment, or is Fox News kind of playing with the idea that they want to go a different route than, than what we're used to? So I definitely can see how Carol could ask this question and how a lot of people could ask this question, just given the history of Fox News hosts and how they've had to really fight to get to these positions during the seven and nine hour. He is 30 years old. I just checked. That is the epitome of sending a boy to do a man's job. Uh, he's a libertarian. Again, I, I'm, I'm familiar with, with Lawrence, but look, maybe Fox does want to lighten things up and maybe they want someone who will be totally beholden and dependent on them. You know, uh, getting that shot and your first mono out the gate is talking about Joe Biden's announcement last week that he wants to run again for president and rolling out every cliche criticism of Joe Biden. Again, that's not the steady diet people have been getting from Tucker Carlson. He, he you know, you don't know what he's going to talk about. And if he does talk about something that's in the news, he's going to give you a take you've never heard before. Maybe that's not what they want. Maybe they want you know what? We put a black face out there. It's young. The New York Times will write positive things about us. Maybe, maybe they're about to do a real pivot and, and, you know, 
put a lightweight out there to, to lighten things. No one will complain. Advertisers uh, will, will perhaps, or certain advertisers will be comfortable. Maybe Big Pharma will be, oh, look, you know, Lawrence Jones out there. Maybe he'll pitch some vaccines for us. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on. It does seem like a strange candidate to re- Tucker Carlson's 52 in the prime of his career dropping bombs every day and uh, now you got someone out there with uh, nunchucks perhaps he's <laughs> he's he's fighting with no anyway, I'm a quick because it sounds like I'm being hyper negative and I'm not thank you Shamika see you tomorrow you. Uh, we'll play some tomorrow and we'll see you tomorrow